is Annika in Columbia and Maria in Happy Valley. And welcome to the second season of the City of Subdued podcast, Bad Town. So Maria, before we dive into this week's episode of Bad Town, what kind of hot goss do you have this week? All right. So is it just me or is there like noticeably more local murders and murderers on the run recently? I heard about the uh, the guy who escaped from Canada and was seen, was that in like Sunset? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Are there more? Yeah. So I guess that there was a homicide in South Hill on Monday, one a few weeks ago in Maple Falls. And I guess that there was something like an attempted murder, a sort of drive-by situation, and the police are looking for two suspects. Oh, well, I mean, this is a true crime podcast this season, but we're we're really hoping to keep it in the past. We We don't need any more new, new content. So this is a terrible transition, but speaking of new content, don't forget to check out our Patreon at <laughs> patreon.com slash city of subdued podcast where we have bonus content. The link will be on our social media. <laughs> that was a terrible transition, but I liked it. Okay. So Annika, what are we learning about this week? Well, this week's episode is an extension of last week's episode where we learned about some of the old-timey lady problems. But this week, we are learning about Lorena Upper, which is Bellingham's baddest lady barber who was accused of running a brothel, probably from all those sensual scalp massages. Ooh, I could go for a scalp massage. That's coming right up on this week's episode of Bat Town. Hello, it's Annika, and welcome to Bad Town, where we discuss the darkest and the baddest parts of Bellingham and Whatcom County history. We are joined today by our season two co-hosts, Marissa. Hi. And Colby. Hi, everybody. From the Good Time Girls. So uh, what story do you have for me this week? We're going to tell you about a case study about a woman named Lorena Upper from Bellingham that takes place in April of 1922. That's all I'm going to tell you right now. Until <laughs> so far, I'm I'm totally sucked in. <laughs> <laughs> so, who was Lorena, and uh, what did she do in Bellingham? So, Lorena was a barber at a time in history when there were very few women who were specifically barbers. Women styled women's hair and men styled men's hair. And never the twain was supposed to meet. It was considered too like titillating for a man to get his hair done by a woman and extremely way too forward for a man to be styling a woman's hair. So in the 1920s, this started to change. It started to change in the late 1800s and there would have been very few schools that would even train a woman to cut hair. Yeah. And she had worked in many different places and had chairs in different barber shops. It was really common for uh, the woman barber in a, in a barber shop to be kind of like sexualized a little bit. It was considered kind of racy to have a lady barber. I kind of think of it as like the foxy latte stand type yeah. <laughs> like, treatment. Um, but the idea that oh, this woman was going to touch you and, you know, maybe her boob was going to rush up against you. <laughs> 
So she didn't have to like pull shots in a G string to be sexualized. Pretty no, much. no. She was just a woman touching you in a very, you know, kind of familiar and kind of intimate way and like tending to your needs. And it's all just very exciting. Oh, God. Should we put a rating on this? <laughs> <laughs> So where exactly did Lorena come from and what brought her to Bellingham? Lorena was originally from California. She was born there, but she had been around by the time she came to Bellingham. Um, she stated during her trial that uh, she learned the barber trade in Vancouver, B.C. in 1906. She worked for 14 years as a barber. Do you know if it was more common in Canada to train a woman to be a barber? I don't know. I suspect um, that her training was not formal. <laughs> oh, okay. As in a school, and that she just maybe apprenticed or learned it on her own. I don't know. But she worked in Calgary, Astoria, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, and Aberdeen, which are all places that also had a lot of hanky panky going on. But but who didn't? I, right. <laughs> she was 21 with a two year old when she met her husband, Lewis Upper, in Vancouver. I'm not sure who the father of her daughter is, um, but she took her stepfather's name. So I discovered Lorena when I was actually researching a building that was a brothel in later years. So it was a building called the Tama Rooms, which is basically the parking lot between Fourth Corner Frames and the current Cabin Tavern on Holly Street. And the building's not there anymore. It's a parking lot. That's what I was going to ask. I was like, wait, is there a building there? <laughs> no, it's the parking lot. But it was a two-story, um, really narrow, wood frame Victorian building. It had bay windows on the top floor. And the Tamarooms were on the top floor. And Lorena's barber shop, she opened on the bottom floor before really the Tamarooms became a thing, but pretty close in time. And there was a tailor in the building, right? And who, and other kind of normal, right. other normal businesses. Yes. So yeah, she opens a shop in this building on Holly Street. Okay. So what, what happens after she opens her shop on Holly Street? Does she just open it and become automatically successful or what what happens well as often happens in cases where women are pioneers it didn't go super great lorena um, shows up in the newspapers for the first time i think in april 18th of 1922 because there's a case coming up against her charges under the red light statute were filed by the prosecuting attorney in town the red light statute being she's being accused of prostitution do you want me to read the statement Mm -hmm. says, Mrs. Lorena Upper, Lady Barber at 309 West Holly Street, was in Superior Court late yesterday to answer why her shop should not be closed for six months and why she should not be fined $300 in accordance with the request of prosecuting attorney Loomis Baldry, who is seeking to invoke the Red Light Abatement Act of Injunction on grounds that the shop has been used for immoral purposes, period. <laughs> so... What exactly does this mean for Lorena then? Did she have to pay a ticket? Did she have to go to jail? What happened? She's likely going to be placed on prohibitive use of the building for six months. So she's going to have to close for six months and be fined $300, which is like $4,000 in, in money today. And this happens because she's got some neighbors who are claiming that she is operating a brothel, which 
technically it was against the law, but it wasn't really against the rules in the 1920s. You just were supposed to do certain things. And one of them was you could absolutely be a madam and own a brothel, but you were supposed to be registered with the police department and the Mm -hmm. health department. And your staff, they were supposed to be the ones having the sex for money. The madam wasn't supposed to have sex for money. So the specific allegations are that she is performing sex work on her clients and people who are going in there to get their hair cut. But also at the same time, there's accusations that her 19-year-old daughter is a prostitute because of some of the of the behavior that she is witnessed as <laughs> displaying. So 1922, we're talking like height of women starting to become more sexually independent and mm. have more agency. So pretty much rumors started from nosy neighbors. It's like old-timey next-door app drama. Absolutely. Yes. A thousand percent. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So were there any specific claims being made? Or how did officials get enough information to bring forth actual charges? So the, this guy Bennett, who owns, who's the tailor next door, the tailor's employee goes and stands on it, pulls a trunk up and stands on it and looks through the window. And he said he saw something decidedly raw, but he's never asked to explain what it is in court. He just saw something raw. Also, is it legal at this time to peep into people's windows? If it, if it wasn't legal, that nothing was done about it. And he was able to present that evidence in court without anybody. It doesn't sound like anyone really questioning it. Can I just point out real quick that, th- that all of our information that we've been using here just came from articles in the Bellingham Herald at the time reporting on the trial. And I haven't actually read any of the transcriptions from the trial or anything like that. So you have to take it kind of with a grain of salt. Yeah, it's going through this really sensationalized lens. So that's always really interesting. But the thing is is that she says in court that Bennett, the guy that the tailor from next door, gave her a black eye, that they were arguing in the street. She didn't say what it was about, but basically it sounded like she was saying, they're trying to push me out of here. You're trying to push me out of here and I'm not going anywhere. And he punched her in the face and gave her a black eye. So that's also not brought up as in the newspapers as something that should be pursued or it's very, it, they actually say she's spilling neighborhood affairs freely. Like she's basically being a gossip in the in the trial and by saying that she got punched in the face. And also at, at trial, this guy named Noel Provanci, who owns a big tobacconist shop just uh, like a block away, is saying he's also heard that that it's a pretty bad place and that there's something going on there. It, from the quotes that they use in the newspaper, nobody once says she's a prostitute. She's a madam. They're doing sex work. It's all very innuendo-y. It's like I saw something decidedly raw. And then it's a pretty bad place. And I've heard all kinds of things are going on over there. And that's that's the evidence that they use. <laughs> and it works. She's actually convicted. Wow. I have a, a thought that's kind of popping into my head. It's definitely not the same. Like, I'm not going to equate Lorena Upper's experience as a old-timey Bellingham business owner to being a woman in the Salem Witch Trials. But I am seeing some parallels. It seems like it doesn't take a lot of evidence to put a woman in jail if there's enough rumors and hearsay going around. Yeah. And she doesn't actually have to go to jail, but she does have to pay the $300 fine and shut her business. But yeah, I I mean, you could say that this is a witch hunt. You could also say that throughout history over and over and over again women just sort of sticking their necks out and trying to do to kind of push up against society's ideas about what they're supposed to be doing makes men really uncomfortable to the point of wanting to like teach them a lesson and that's that's my 
interpretation of mm. of the situation. I think she and I don't know, Colby, it's like I, I don't feel like she was running a brothel. There's testimony or there's there's a quote from her her family physician who says that she was asking him to talk to her 19 year old daughter and ask her to keep more regular hours and not go not go out partying at night. And I think she was a concerned mom and that maybe she was a little bit seemed a little bit trashy i love trashy so she she had to be a little bit on the wild side of life just being a lady barber i'm sorry but (laughs) that's just um (laughs) i mean there's a lot of evidence to me that points you know they were not like super straight and narrow people they were probably some kind of fringe element people but i agree with you that there's no evidence that they were actually you know, running a brothel. I definitely think Thelma, the daughter, was a wild child. She ended up in vaudeville, which was mm. also completely kind of a wild thing to do. Yeah, this is at a time when actresses are cons- are just assumed to be prostitutes too. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's starting to change in the late twenties, but that was very <laughs> much the idea. If you were an actress, you traveled around, you could have a boy in every town, and you were up there, you know, wanting uh, wanting attention and uh, mostly for your looks and. Mm. performing in front of people and that was very that was considered to be very like low class behavior Thelma Thelma I love I love vaudeville I'm a vaudeville nerd she did the cycle whirl act which was legit like first it was bicycles and then later motorcycles where they would like basically ride in like a weird cage thing in a circle you know upside down yeah and (laughs) so she did that on the pantages circuit badass yeah i mean i think you're right i think that that informs it too right so if there was a woman who was from bellingham who had family connections here was somebody that was middle class and she had opened a barbershop and made a huge effort to be seen as a very respectable like you know we see weird references in historic advertisements all the time when women are trying to do something that it's like this is a respectable shop you know we are only the Mm -hmm. utmost professionalism and so if she had really been like marketing herself that way had local connections i think there's a possibility that people would have kind of raised some eyebrows and made some silly jokes about it but i don't think that there would necessarily have been this treatment i do think that she was just operating a regular ass barber shop it was legit though like a bikini barista i mean you think that's what it was like i mean in a lot of ways you know like without the bikini but the same sort of like stigma or associations i mean you're not going to open a bikini barista stand without knowing you're going to get some attention like that right no i have zero qualms with bikini baristas or lady barbers i'm just saying and bellingham i mean i feel like in the last 10 years bellingham like viscerally rejected the opening of a bikini barista at one point in town right there was some kind of like how can we get a ordinance that makes this impossible jeez i didn't know that yeah And so we have a long history of really not accepting the idea that women can make those sorts of choices. It's really common in Bellingham to be really anti-trashy. We we are a nice, respectable community, and we want a nice, respectable place. And yes, of course, in the you know in the 1920s, we've got some brothels, but we have them operate a very specific way so that you don't really see the women. 
They're not coming and going in the middle of the day. And if we're going to have those sorts of resources for our men that are obviously needed, then we're going to do it in a way that's really respectful and you're not playing by our rules. I think there's a possibility they really did think that she was operating a brothel, but I think it might have just come from like not being able to understand why she would want to do this at all unless it was to operate as a brothel or feeling like even if she's not operating a brothel and she and her daughter isn't having you know, sex for money, that the way that they're carrying on is making the male neighbors really uncomfortable. They don't want to see a woman be like, yeah, sometimes I stay here, stay overnight here with my boyfriend. And they don't want to see another woman be like, yeah, you know, like part of the deal of why people are getting my hair, their haircut with me is that it's kind of a thrill for them. You know, they just it it just rubbed up against their ideas about what was proper and what was what was supposed to be done. And they knew that they could work to push her out of town just because of their access to power. Mm -hmm. So Bellingham being anti-trashy. So you're saying that classism has been a thing for a while (laughs) in Whatcom County or classism. And racism and sexism and all of these stories pretty much that we're going to tell you are all intersecting and they're all um they're all causing a lot of problems um, for people. And we have these very specific ideas about the social roles of women at this time in our history, and they're just starting to be pushed up against. Colby, do you remember the story of the bloomers of the lady or the harem pants? Oh, yeah. I want to say it was 1909. There was this, of course, scandal that women were wearing pants. <laughs> and um, yeah, the, there was a local store actually selling pants. They're basically hammer pants, right? Yeah, they totally they hammer look, pants. It's kind of like, or, or oh like God. they're bunched up around the ankles, right? But they're big and blousey so that that kind of looks like a skirt. And then except for when someone's walking, then it looks yes. like pants. Yeah. There was kind of another variation on them, too, that were more like culottes or something, you know, where they were bell-bottomy looking. And sometimes they had like an extra panel to make it look more like a skirt. <laughs> but it was pants underneath. Oh, yeah, like almost like a long apron or a long skirt, like the world's longest skirt. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so women were wearing these for a couple of reasons. It was easier to do things like ride a horse, ride a bicycle, uh, <laughs> etc. So it was kind of that was uh, there's you'll see a lot of advertisements for bicycles with women in bloomers. And that's kind of a scandalous thing. But yeah, these ladies were just walking down the street in the latest harem pants fashion, and they were basically like rustled into a store and sort of citizens arrested. It caused this big scandal. They were like young, like teenage girls, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because of course, it's like nowadays when you're like, oh my gosh, that I can see that young lady's butt cheeks out of her, hanging out of her shorts, and I'm so scandalized. I think that was kind of the butt cheeks (laughs) of its time. Except could you imagine getting arrested because your butt cheeks were hanging out of your shorts? I'd be like half of my eighth grade class. Right. I was just talking to my daughters about dress codes. <laughs> oh, <Gosh>. really? <laughs> just when they were in school and like when I was in school, you know, we were all comparing like what we got in trouble for wearing to school, basically. Oh, spaghetti straps, man. That was like the thing at my school. You know what I got in trouble for wearing to middle school? Mm. It was actually my dad's military beret, which I thought was like punk rock or something. And they told me that it was not allowed for me to wear a hat in the building. And I was like, well, actually, that's an old fashioned rule. And that was only for men had to remove their hats and women didn't. They were like, well, 
this is our school. You have to take the hat off. They're like, listen, Missy, <laughs> we get that you like history already. And oh that, but just listen to the just just do what I say. So then the other thing that happened, Colby, right, with the pants, with the harem pants, was that they the the police went and like confiscated the rest of the pants. No, no, they didn't. Oh, come on. It's something like that. (laughs) (laughs) The store just turned it into a huge publicity event and was like, come down here and come to our store where the scandalous harem pants are. Oh, I thought I remembered some like Bobby walking down there and being like, that's it. I'm taking all your pants now for ladies. (laughs) Ladies can't wear pants. This is illegal and scandalous. Yeah, I don't know if it was specifically illegal yet in 1909. It might have been in different states. I mean, it just wasn't considered okay whatsoever and i'm sure they could arrest you on some other charge of like lewd living or something there there's all kinds of stupid weird vague charges lewd living i feel attacked (laughs) (laughs) that was a legit thing you'll see that in the paper all the time charged with lewd living or keeping what is it keeping a how no houses of ill fame there's one that was like Basically, keeping a messy house, but like, or like disorderly an, house. Yeah, keeping a disorderly house, which got used for all kinds of stuff. It was like you let people drink in your living room after prohibition was keeping a disorderly house, or like it could be that you didn't, you have a junky yard. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it could be anything. Yeah, it was just kind of used. I haven't swiffered the dog hair this week, so <laughs> disorderly exactly. house busted. You're keeping it. <laughs> yes. And it was the woman who got charged with it also. Most of the prostitution arrests and charges throughout the entire 1920s was under vagrancy, which just was a big blanket term for like anyone they considered not an upstanding citizen. This is also happening. The story, this thing that's happening to Lorena Upper in 1922 is after a long period of time that when you look at the police, if you look at the arrest records in Bellingham, there are all of these um, examples of black men being arrested for either vagrancy or for pimping and they were arrested for vagrancy if they were basically you know existing while black in downtown or any part of bellingham and then if they arrested for pimping which was it was it was legal to be a madam in or allowed to be a madam at different points in history in bellingham but they absolutely enforced anti-pimping laws they did not want men to be in charge of sex work they thought that that's how you got violence i can tell you the exact wording of the anti-pimping law Ooh, please do <laughs> it just said that no man shall profit off the earnings of a fallen woman. So I I love that because it's just like, again, there's so much weird. What is the legal definition of a fallen woman? Like, how is that even pursuable? I just don't understand it. I've fallen and I can't get up. (laughs) If you give me $5, I'll help you up. Was that illegal? (laughs) I was going to say also that might be my first ever tattoo. The uh, no man should profit off the uh, work of a fallen woman. Yeah, no man shall. No man should profit from the earnings of a fallen woman. Tattooed right on my ass. I love that. Yeah, I feel like it's also kind of like a. It's kind of like a fortune cookie saying or something. It's like a weird. <laughs> it doesn't really sound like something that's enforceable. Anyway, so it was really common for black men to get arrested for for profiting off of a fallen woman. So if you, for example, were a piano player in a brothel, or you worked security in a brothel, or you did errands for a madam, they could use that against you. And when you look at 
old arrest records. They would like raid a brothel that wasn't operating the way that they thought it was supposed to. And they would arrest all, all the men. And in the arrest records, it'll say like the guy's name, his race, his age, and what he, what he's being arrested for and what the outcome is. Over and over and over again, if they were black, they were brought up on charges of pimping. But if it was a white person who was performing music or spending time in a brothel, it was it would say like vagrancy or or if sometimes it would still say pimping, but they would be like sent home or given a fine. But the black men over and over again are sent out of town in various ways. Mm-hmm. They're put on a train to Seattle or Vancouver. They're put on a boat to Seattle or Vancouver. It's interesting because we've had this history of basically telling black men how they are allowed to exist in our town and also we see what's happening with Lorena I see that as an extension of that the white male moneyed or middle class people that want to exert certain their idea their ideas of certain morals are making it really clear that we can run you out of town and that's how they dealt with with what they thought was undesirable so it's not surprising to me that this is mm-hmm. how she was treated but it is it is really indicative of part of the whole bad town <laughs> part of the whole reason we wanted to talk about what like why why bad town there was always some kind of idea about about who has access to power and who wants to to do everything they can to maintain it and who has an idea of what Bellingham is supposed to be and look like and who is included in that and if you if we don't think that you should be included if we think you're a trashy woman or if we or if we see you as a black man we will do everything we can to sort of push you out. And it's a really it's a really disappointing part of our history, but I think it's a really fascinating one that we have a lot to learn from. Yeah, definitely. So in the end, how how did things end up for Lorena? Yeah, the trail kind of runs out on her. It's not exactly clear what became of her and her family other than Thelma, who clearly went on to be a cycle world girl in the vaudeville circuit. Lorena divorced her husband in King County on the grounds of non-support. Um, so I'm presuming she probably remarried in another state, which is why it's been hard to find a record of where she went. And that's about it for Lorena, as far as I know. Yeah. And it's interesting that she she sues her husband for non-support. It makes me feel like she probably could just really gave up on the idea that she was going to be a lady barber. She was also maybe aging out of that if the idea was mm-hmm. that you're supposed to be kind of sexy and yeah. um, attractive. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was she had a baby at a young age and clearly wasn't with Thelma's father. We're not even sure who he was. Um, so, you know, maybe she hooks up with her husband out of sort of just desperation or goes into the lady barber thing, trying to make it on her own. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of questions. But by the time, yeah, her daughter's kind of grown up and gone off on her own. It's not clear what happens to Lorena after that. And we don't see a lot of women cutting men's hair in Bellingham for a long time after that. We haven't done like a big deep dive on (laughs) this, but we don't see a lot of women barbers. And like even today, it's kind of rare to see, you know, there's some barbershops in town that's, you know, we don't see a lot of examples of um, women cutting men's hair after that. And I think that these sorts of these sorts of stories kind of stay in the like oral history and in the rumor mill for a while in some communities. And I think you kind of get the picture that this isn't you're not necessarily going to succeed at this in Bellingham. 
It was, it was really interesting to me how, you know, those were just such gendered spaces. Barber shops, you know, were like an extension of a saloon, cigar store. That was a man's world. I mean, in, in general, like the public sphere was a male space and you had to be careful going through it as a woman and go to the, the only the allowed places mm-hmm. <laughs> and in the allowed clothing, no harem pants. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So I think um, Lorena is a perfect example. Her story is a perfect example of exactly what you're talking about. Try- someone trying to push up against that idea and being met with a lot of resistance. Yeah. A male dominated community that was paranoid about trashy women. <laughs> what's What's funny to me is that after Lorena's case, you know, is over and she's gone out of our out of the picture, that building goes on to become the upstairs is the notorious brothel, the Tama Rooms. And it was there, I'd say, from the mid-1920s, operated up through the 50s. And there's a lot of interesting little stories about that place. But when it was actually torn down and condemned, I think it was George Hunsby, who's, who was a local history writer, he said that, you know, there were, all the men were gathered in barber shops ironically and there was not a dry eye when they were tearing down the tama rooms brothel (laughs) my favorite story about that place is that they were um they would host an easter egg hunt in the brothel every year yeah (laughs) i'm just i find that to be fascinating i just am like (laughs) i don't i just don't know why you would want to do that (laughs) yeah i'm just imagining like little kids dressed up like really creepy old-timey bunnies yes but i think it was for the men the men it was definitely an adults only affair (laughs) oh where they hid those eggs makes you wonder (laughs) (laughs) but i like i like that you annika Annika, you thought that they were just like the pillars of the community hosting an easter egg on the (laughs) brothel for all the kitties (laughs) there was also said to be uh, um, a trail running from the back of that building directly down to the the lumber mill site, which former Georgia Pacific and Puget Sound pulp and timber mill. <laughs> like a, a path that had been beaten yeah. there. Yeah. So yeah, it was it like, get off work, you go to the timber rooms, just mm-hmm. up right. the hill, up the trail. It's interesting. And it's interesting that she's there at this time. And maybe her kind of her reputation stains that place. And they're like, and and it's hard to get it rented, or people are starting to think of that town, town, part of town as being the bad side of town. And that's how the brothel opens up there. I don't know. But it's interesting mm-hmm. that that ends up being the location of uh, of a brothel after that. So yeah, it's not a it's not necessarily a, a happy ent- ending, but it's an interesting ending. Mm hmm. Uh, Well, that was great. Thank you so much for sharing the story of Lorena Upper with me. That sounded too like me. (laughs) Fuck it. We're leaving it. (laughs) We'll be back next week with more Bad Town. Wow. Fascinating tale this week. Speaking of fascinating things, we want to wrap up with our final and favorite segment, Local Treasures. In this part of the show, we do a roundtable sharing of something we ate, drank, or otherwise consumed recently that fills us with local pride. What's your pick this week, Annika? So mine is not really a f- really food or drink related, but this week, my local treasure is Unique Technique Dance Studio. My co-teacher and I have been taking a dance class there this month. They're really small. They're only allowing five students. 
in each session where I think last time there was like 15. But because of COVID, the class sizes are smaller and it's been worth it to take a break from work, grad school, this podcast yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and um and just do something fun. So Patsy, the teacher, she's really funny. It's a very laid back experience. This class would be great for anyone who wants to have fun, express themselves and get some exercise in. Wow. Sounds great. For people who like exercise. Okay. <laughs> Maria, no. <laughs> All right. So this week, my local treasure, I have two. Um, The first, I feel like I have to mention the Boomer's Thanksgiving special burger, which they put up back on the menu after I told them that I wanted it and got a bunch of people on Reddit to agree with me. (laughs) It just goes to show that you can make change in your community if you try hard enough and believe strong enough. It's not frivolous. This is maybe the best sandwich in Bellingham for meat eating people. It's a favorite. I love it. And I think you'll love it too, especially if you're into Thanksgiving flavors. My second pick this week is the lamb shawarma with all the fixings from Seven Spice on Railroad. It's a newer restaurant, but the portions are great. The food is fantastic. I got it for lunch, but I wish that I had it, you know, after a few beers on a Saturday night walking around. But regardless, any way you have it, take out sitting outside in their nice little patio area. It's really, really good and deserves a trip. Okay, I think that about wraps things up. Annika, do you want to give us a little teaser for what we're learning about next week? Yeah, next week we will be learning about rum running, bootlegging, and labrine. Labrieing? Yep, this next episode dives into Bellingham's history with Prohibition, and we overlap with some familial history with our own Colby Labrie's great-grandfather. Okay. So remember to like and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can check out our website at cityofthesubdued.com. And you can also support the City of Subdued podcast and support local radio by tuning in to KMRE at 102.3 FM every Thursday night at 10 p.m. to listen to Bad Town. Or you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. And a very special thank you to Marissa, Colby, and Ren from The Good Time Girls for being incredible season two co-hosts and for their incredible research. You can find them at bellinghistory.com as well as Facebook and Instagram. We also want to thank Francisco D'Andrea for our intro and outro music, The Criminals Jazz Band. And lastly, thank you to Maria and myself for doing the editing. With that, I say to you, Bellingham, so long. A little more subdued, Maria. See you next week.